Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join together in worship of our triune God. A particular welcome to any visitors and all those who have joined us online. May the preaching of the gospel direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. Consistory with Deacons will meet tomorrow evening at 8 o'clock. And this afternoon, the worship service will be led by Reverend Ikeboom from our sister church in Byford. Before we commence the service, let us sing together hymn 45, verses 1, 2 and 3. Brothers and sisters, will you please rise to receive the greeting of the Lord. Let's all together lift up our hearts to the Lord. And let's confess together, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And he greets us, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's worship the Lord by singing together Psalm 103, verse 1 and verse 2, and afterwards remain standing and profess our faith together by singing hymn 1.
Brothers and sisters, shall we draw near to God and ask him for a blessing? Father in heaven, for the second time today, we are together as congregation here in your house to worship you. Of course, Father, when we say that we are in your house, we understand that there is nothing special, nothing holy about this building. We also acknowledge that since Pentecost, you don't make your home in any building of bricks and mortar. Instead, you live in us. You live in the hearts of the people you love. And we are your people, Father. We are your chosen congregation. Together, we are your house. And you have given us a place here in Southern River. And through us, you display your grace, holiness, goodness and care and all your other attributes to the world that we live in. And every week, you give us a special day to leave our busy schedules and to focus on you and on your grace towards us and on your plan for our lives. We are happy to set this day aside for you, Father, because there is nothing that is more important to us than your promise to forgive our sins, your promise to give us eternal life. It is this promise, Father, that makes our life worth living. We pray this afternoon for our theological seminary in Canada. We pray for the professors and students who have come to the end of the year and who are now busy writing exams. Bless them, Father, and bless their study. We pray that in this way you will provide ministers and missionaries for the churches. Bless us now this afternoon as we listen again to the gospel of your son Jesus Christ who died to save us from our sins. Grant that also this part of our confession does not remain just academic knowledge for us because we confess that knowledge, even much knowledge, cannot save us. Open our minds, our hearts and our lives to the working of your spirit. Grant so that we may live in faith and in the obedience that comes from faith. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's take our Bibles and let's read together two passages from Scripture. We read first from Ezekiel 18. And then afterwards we'll read from Luke 15. First, Ezekiel 18. We read this in connection with Lord's Day 5 of our Catechism. In Lord's Day 5 we confess that the justice of God requires... 
Well, God demands that his justice be satisfied. And therefore, we must make full payment, either by ourselves or through another. That's the first question and answer. So in connection with this confession, we read Ezekiel 18. The prophet speaks, The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. If a man is righteous and does what is just and right, if he does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman in a time of menstrual impurity, does not oppress anyone but restores to the debtor his pledge, commits no robbery, gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment, does not lend at interest or take any profit, withholds his hand from injustice, executes true justice between man and man, walks in my statutes and keeps my rules by acting faithfully, he is righteous. He shall surely live, declares the Lord God. If he fathers a son who is violent, a shedder of blood, who does any of these things, though he himself did none of these things, who even eats upon the mountains, defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and needy, commits robbery, does not restore the pledge, lifts up his eyes to the idols, commits abomination, lends an interest and takes profit. Shall he then live? He shall not live. He has done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon himself. Now suppose... This man, father is a son, who sees all the sins that his father has done. He sees and does not do likewise. He does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife, does not oppress anyone, exacts no pledge, commits no robbery, but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment, withholds his hand from iniquity, takes no interest or profit, obeys my rules, and walks in my statutes, he shall not die for his father's iniquity. He shall surely live. We go to the New Testament. We read from Luke 15, Luke 15, from verse 11, the parable of the prodigal son. Luke 15, from verse 11. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, 
Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him. And kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So far our reading from the word of God. Let us now sing together Psalm 130, verse 2 and verse 3.
you the word of God as we have it summarised for us in Lord's Day 5 of our Catechism. Lord's Day 5 on page 521 of our Book of Praise. We notice the heading, the second part of the Catechism. The first part was our sins and misery. Now we come to our deliverance. And the Catechism asks, Since, according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment, how can we escape this punishment and be again received into favour? God demands that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full payment, either by ourselves or through another. Can we, by ourselves, make this payment? Certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt. Can any mere creature pay for us? No. In the first place, God will not punish another creature for the sin which man has committed. Furthermore, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. What kind of mediator and deliverer must we seek? One, who is a true and righteous man and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is at the same time true God. So far our reading from the Confession of the Church, we now listen to the preaching of the Gospel and afterwards we'll sing together hymn 61. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, how did you get your first car? Some of us worked hard as teenagers and saved every dollar until we could buy a car. And then, at least for the first little while, we kept it clean inside and out. We treated it with respect. On the other hand, perhaps some of us were also given a brand new car when we turned 17. And then, although no doubt we were thankful, we could not treat our car with the same respect. We could not feel the same way about our car because we didn't earn it. When we work hard for something, we learn to treasure it. We learn to treat it with respect. But when it comes to, comes to us easily, we take it for granted. And this same comment, brothers and sisters, had been made about so many different areas in life. For some of us, learning at school comes easy. And that's no big deal for us. But for others, for whom learning is more difficult, it's a real chore. Similarly, we might also consider 
our churches and our schools. Half a century ago, when life was more difficult and money was more scarce, a generation of immigrants worked hard and made significant sacrifices to build our churches and schools. And now, while we are thankful for what we have received, we cannot possibly love our churches and our schools in the same way because we never worked for it. Instead, it was all given to us on a silver platter. And how does this apply to the gospel? Well, history shows. History shows in the time before the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church taught that Christians had to earn salvation by doing good works. Martin Luther lived in a monastery. He read his Bible constantly. He beat himself with a whip. He went for days without eating, without sleeping. He did everything he could to obtain God's favour. For Martin Luther and for thousands of other Christians, salvation from sin and eternal life was a treasure. And they were willing to offer every sacrifice to make it happen. But history shows. History shows that when the gospel of grace is preached, it always happens that Christians become careless about their salvation. No, it's not right. Of course not. But it's natural. One Christian author tells the story of a young man in his congregation. That young man had a girlfriend. He was living together with his girlfriend. When his minister talked to him, that man told his minister, what I do is normal. I sin and God forgives. That's how it's supposed to happen. So is it a wonder that many Christians today care more about their cars and their homes than they care about salvation? For their cars and their homes, they had to work hard. But salvation is given to us for nothing. I preach to you this afternoon the Gospel of Lord's Day 5 of the Catechism under the following theme. God demands that his children satisfy his justice by making full payment. And then we pay attention to three points. God's demand explained and justified and fulfilled. God demands that his children satisfy his justice by making full payment. We first consider this demand, the explanation of this demand. Now, I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but when I come to Lord's Day 5 of the Catechism, I give a sigh of relief. Because the first part of the Catechism, our sins and misery, that's done. And that's not a nice part of the Catechism to preach from. 
And now, in Lord's Day 5, the second part begins. Our deliverance. Deliverance means salvation. Deliverance means we had a problem. We were stuck. But now, our problem is gone. We have been delivered. And you and I, we are thankful to focus our attention on that. And, of course, that's the case. Five, at the beginning of the gospel of our deliverance, there is no God or Father running out to welcome us who were lost in our sins and misery. There is no welcome, no celebration. Instead, it seems more as if God, when he sees us, God sends out a policeman with a warrant for our arrest. God puts his fist on the table and God says, your repentance doesn't cut it. Your tears of regret are not good enough. Instead, God demands that his justice be satisfied. We must make full payment. Until then, there is nothing to talk about. Do you get what I'm saying, brothers and sisters? Do you see the difference? The Catechism is teaching us something very important. The fact is that salvation does not come cheaply. Salvation is not easy. Or if you like, salvation is a big deal. It's a really, really big deal. It's a bigger deal than our jobs. A bigger deal than our marriages, our families. A bigger deal than our mental health, our physical health. A bigger deal than everything else in the world put together. There is nothing as important as the gospel of our salvation. And this is why every Sunday the Lord calls us to put aside our work and our hobbies and every other distraction. The Lord calls us to focus our attention on the subject of our salvation and eternal life. Not as if it's a done deal. Not as if it's a matter of ancient history which was resolved for us without our knowledge on a hill outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Instead, it is a matter that demands our attention this afternoon again. So let's start at the beginning. Answer 12 says, God demands that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full payment either by ourselves or through another. Clearly, this is a personal matter. I have sinned. Now God speaks to me in my sinful state. And he says to me that I must make full payment either by myself, if I can, or through another. 
you have also sinned. God also comes to you this afternoon and he says to you that you must also make full payment either by yourself or through another. So, my brother, my sister, what will you do about this? What will you do about your sins? And now, I would like to remind you of what we just read together from Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18, which we read earlier on in this service, the prophet Ezekiel mentioned that the Israelites were complaining. They were complaining that the fathers have eaten sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. The fathers have eaten sour grapes. That means the fathers sinned, but the children's teeth are set on edge. The children are copying the punishment. One generation sins, but the following generation is being punished. That's what the people say. But Ezekiel says, not true. Ezekiel says, don't say that proverb again. God does not punish children for the sins of the parents. Instead, the soul that sins shall die. That's how God operates. Of course, Ezekiel explained, if children follow the bad example of their parents, if children do the same evil things that their parents have done, of course those children will be punished. But they will be punished not because their parents sinned. No, they will be punished for their own sins. You can count on this rule, says Ezekiel. God judges every one of us for what we do in our own lives. The person who sins shall be punished. So this principle, brothers and sisters, this principle that all people must be punished for their own sins, this principle was taken from Ezekiel 18 and included in our catechism. And of course, it does mean that God will not punish a bull or a sheep for the sins that people commit. That's also true. But make no mistake, in Ezekiel 18, the issue is not whether God punishes animals for our sins. Instead, the question is, will God punish one person like you or me for the sins that other people have committed? The Catechism says no, because Ezekiel says no. The point is that when we sin, God's justice is not blind. You know how it happens sometimes in the news? A man is angry. Maybe he doesn't even know exactly what he's angry about. He's just angry at life, perhaps. So he grabs a weapon and he goes into a school or a church 
and he shoots just anyone because he wants to express his anger? Lord's Day 5 teaches us, no, God is not like that. Instead, says answer 12, because of his justice, God maintains the rule. God will never punish another creature for the sins which you or I commit. Because of his justice, God demands instead that you and I make full payment for our own sins. And now, now that we have established the biblical framework of God's justice, now we can introduce the gospel. Because at this point, brothers and sisters, at this point, you might well be scratching your head. You might well be wondering if God did not break his own rule when he sent Jesus to the cross to pay for your sins. Wasn't God satisfied to receive payment from Jesus? Payment from Jesus for our sins? The answer is that this is kind of true in a vague and general kind of way. In a vague and general kind of way, it is true that God received payment for our sins from Jesus and not from us. But that's not a complete picture. It's not an accurate picture of the gospel because you know what happens when you have a flat tyre, when someone stops for you and fixes your tyre, you see him for half an hour, then you say thank you, and you might give him $20, but then he goes his way, and you go your way, and then the chances are that you will never see him again. He is not important, he's not a part of your life anymore. Now, if that would be the kind of relationship that we have with Jesus, brothers and sisters, if we believe that Jesus went to the cross to deal with the problem of our sins, and if we now want to say, thank you, Jesus, but now get out of our life because we want to get on with the business of living in this world, if that is the case, then indeed we could say that someone else paid for our sins. Then Jesus is someone else. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that Jesus is a friendly stranger who came by and did us a favour by paying for our sins. Never. Jesus would never do that for anyone. Instead, says Paul in Romans 6, instead the world is made up in a totally different way. When you were baptised into the name of Jesus, then you were baptised into his death. You were baptised into his death. 
And that means when Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, you were a part of him and you died with him. Indeed, God demanded of us that we make full payment for our sins. And payment for sin could only be made by death. And then the answer of scripture is not that Christ paid while we stood by watching. The answer of scripture is not that Christ died while we merrily lived on. Instead, we belong to Christ. And in Christ, we died. And only because in Christ we died, only for this reason does God receive the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as payment for our sins. And that's why Romans 8 goes on to say that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 1 that God elected us in Christ. God predestined us to eternal life in Christ. God did everything for us and to us in Christ. The point is that we belong to Christ. We are in him. And that means on the last day when God judges us, God will not judge our lives to see if we have done enough, to count that there were not too many sins. And on the last day, when God judges our lives, God will not judge our hearts to see if our faith is large enough or strong enough. Instead, God will say to you, and God will say to me, you sinned, and I demand payment. In my justice, I will not allow another creature to pay for you. And then our answer must be, Father in heaven, we have died. Because we are in Christ. He died for us, and we died with him. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit... We now live in him. Our answer must be, when you sent your son to the cross, when you condemned him and cursed him, then you judged me. Then you punished my sins because I am in Christ. And this is so important, brothers and sisters. Because if we say that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ and not by works, of course that is true. If we say that we do not have to earn our own salvation, of course that is true. But if we imagine that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, and if we imagine that we can now live our lives with Jesus Christ 
just somewhere on the edge of our lives, then we are deceiving ourselves. Because, brothers and sisters, we are not saved because we have in our heads some theoretical knowledge about God. We are not saved because we have in our hearts some feelings about God or about Jesus. Instead, we are saved because of who we are, because we belong to Jesus Christ. We are in him. If that is true, then God has already punished all our sins on the cross of Golgotha. Because God demands that his justice be satisfied. God demands that we make full payment for our sins. And there is only one way for us to make this payment. And that is to be united with Jesus Christ. To share in his death and resurrection. In our second point we will now see how God's demand for full payment is justified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I would be your friend and if I would lend you some money and you could not pay me back, then surely I would forgive your debt. That's what friends do. But if you were my bank manager and if I owed the bank money and I could not repay my debt, then I would not expect the bank to forgive my debt. A true friend says, forget what you owe. It's not important. But a business associate or a bank manager expects us to make full payment for every cent that we owe. And of course, this raises another question. Does God treat us like a bank manager? Is God like a penny-pinching Scrooge who weighs and measures every sin, calculates payment and demands full payment? Surely that's not the way it is. Instead, God is our heavenly Father, is he not? He is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep, is he not? The whole Bible, Old Testament and you testifies to God's grace and his care. And this aspect actually comes out, brothers and sisters, in question 12 of our catechism. In question 12, the question is, since, according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment, how can we, how can we do two things? How can we escape this punishment? And then also, how can we be again received into favour 
And the point is that God created us not to be customers in his bank and not to do business with him so that where we owe him something, we pay back every cent. Instead, remember Lord's Day 3, that beautiful confession that God created us to live with him in paradise. God created us to live in a relationship with him as his children, as his friends. To rightly know God, to love God, and to live with God in eternal blessedness, to praise and glorify him. In such a relationship, brothers and sisters, where God created us, when we sinned, God could have figured out how much we owed him. God could have given us the bill and then turned his back on us. God could have said, you have been rotten friends and now that you have fallen into sins, I don't need you anymore. And then, in theory, Jesus could have paid for our sins. He could have paid our debt. But then God could have stayed in heaven and we could have lived on, on earth, without God. But the gospel begins. The gospel begins with God's decision that God wants the road to paradise to be open again. That's why God sent his son into the world. Not just so that Jesus might pay our debt. Not just so that God might receive what we owed him. But instead, this is God's way to reopen the gates of paradise. The gates of heaven. So that we can live with God in eternal blessedness. To praise and glorify him. See, the whole Bible is about God living in a relationship with his people. Every day, he feeds us and clothes us and gives us what we need. And this means, this means that if we now try to reduce the gospel to us having a problem and Jesus solving our problem by paying for our sins, then we terribly insult God because Already before the fall into sin, God had a wonderful plan, a wonderful vision for the world. And that involved you and me. He planned for us to live in this world which we had made. He planned for us to live in a relationship with him. Where we could speak to him and learn from him and love him. And this is what life is all about. And that means if today we don't have a meaningful relationship with God that is by regular Bible reading and prayer, if our connection with God is not a big part of our lives, then we are missing the purpose of our existence. And then we must repent because Right from the very beginning, 
The purpose of human existence was that we should love God and we should serve God and we should have a living relationship with God. Sin. Sin is important because it got in the way. Sin disrupted our relationship with God. That's why sin had to be dealt with. But the bigger picture is that God wanted to open the door to paradise so that we might escape our punishment and be again received into favour. That is our second point. In our third point, we will now consider how God's demand was fulfilled. When question 15 mentions a mediator, we think quite rightly of conflict. Conflict between America and China, between Russia and Ukraine. More conflict in the current international dispute over transgenders in sport. Also issues like Black Lives Matter and what should we do about climate change? In Australian politics, the voice. The world is a messy place, brothers and sisters. And there is conflict everywhere. And more and more people seem to realise that the only way to get your way is to demand loudly and intimidate your opponents into submission. Fact is, when we look at the world that we live in, when we see how divided it is, and when we see how much damage all that division causes, we can't see how any mediator could possibly fix up that mess. There's no way. It's impossible. It's just too broken. And yet, it's not too broken. We thank God, brothers and sisters, because of the situation described in Lord's Day 5, in question and answer 15. There is conflict, no doubt. Conflict between God and us. God demands that his justice be satisfied. And we cannot pay. We cannot satisfy God's justice. So what does our mediator do? He learns what his father wants. And he gives his father full payment. He goes to the cross. He bears the full burden of God's wrath. And then Jesus comes to us. And he says to us, You have a debt that you must pay? Leave it to me. I will pay everything that you owe. Our mediator gives to everyone everything that they need. He pays for it all out of his own pocket. That's the sort of mediator that Jesus is. He satisfied the wrath of God and he gives us eternal life. He gives us everything we need. Whatever is good for us, 
He never says, what you ask is too much. He never says, I cannot do that for you. Instead, he takes all our burdens upon himself. He takes all our sins. And everything that stands between us and God, everything that stands between us and perfect happiness, he takes it away. And when he returns on the clouds of heaven, then he will bring with him the gift of perfect and eternal blessedness. And for this reason, beloved congregation, Lord's Day 5 of our Catechism underlines the fact that there is a very basic choice that we need to make every day again. And that question is not, do we want Jesus to forgive our sins? That's a no-brainer. The question is, will we belong to Jesus Christ, yes or no? Again, the question is not, do we know something about Jesus in our heads? Or do we feel something about Jesus in our hearts? Instead, the question is, do I belong to him? Paul answers this question for us when he says, yes, you do belong. You were baptised into Christ Jesus. You belong to him. Every day and every moment, you belong to him. So that we might all confess, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in endless praise. Let them flow in endless praise. Amen.
Almighty God, Father in heaven, we thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. We confess that the gospel is very simple. The promise of the forgiveness of sins by faith in your son Jesus Christ. But Lord, it is far broader, far deeper, and far richer than that. Indeed, if we would only know that Jesus had paid for sins by his death on the cross, then we might easily think that salvation was not a big deal. But you have revealed to us in so many ways that you demand of us that we make full payment for our sins. And you have also made it clear to us that therefore we must be connected to your son Jesus Christ. We must belong to him. We must be in him in order to benefit from his saving work. And so we pray, hold on to us. Work in our hearts, Father, seriously and urgently. Grant that we may be more and more united to your Son, Jesus Christ, by a true and living faith for the sake of our salvation and for the sake of your glory, so that we may serve you, not out of fear, but because you love us and because you have done so much for us, because you have called us out of darkness to live by the marvellous light of the gospel. Father, we pray this afternoon for the work of Fairhaven, the work that we may support via the collection in just a moment. We thank you that yesterday Fairhaven could have a special day and we thank you that it could be well attended. We pray continue to give your blessing to the board and staff of Fairhaven and even more to the residents. We also pray this afternoon, Father in heaven, for our federation of churches and especially for the churches of Classes North as they meet this coming Friday in Tasmania. Lord, will you give travelling mercies to the delegates? Will you give your blessing over the meeting that everything may be done in a way that is edifying for your people? Bless us now for the rest of today and also in the week that lies ahead of us. Bless the work of our elders and deacons and our pastor. Bless the catechism classes and the Bible study groups as they meet again. Bless us in all that we do. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. You now have an opportunity to serve the Lord with your thank offering. The collection is for Fairhaven. Afterwards we stand and we sing our concluding song, Psalm 33, verse 6.
people of God, receive the blessing of your Lord and Saviour and go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.